Welcome to the Real Family Guys podcast with Jeff Emery and Trey Gibson, the show where education and experience collide to help you go deeper in your parenting. Broadcasting from Abilene, Texas, here are your hosts, Jeff and Trey. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Real Family Guys podcast. This is the show where experience and education collide. Buzz, buzz, kaboom. To take you deeper in your parenting. The date today is June the 10th, 2016. Our topic for today is float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. We're going to talk about the equation to becoming the greatest. Did I get that right, Jeff? I don't think I got that right. No, no, you got it. You got okay, it. we awesome. got it. Sorry, guys. I want you all to know, first off, I am set up out in my store. Room. My mother-in-law is staying with us until she gets her house set up. So Jeff and I are recording, and I am actually out inside my storage building doing this next to all my tools. And so I'm going to ask for if you all hear a random chicken in the background or a duck quacking or any of those <laughs> kind of things like that. That's why we run a small homestead, and so I apologize in advance. The topic for today, we're going to talk a little bit about humbleness in our children and how do we create kiddos you know we talk a lot about a lot of different kinds of things we want to see in our kids and and proactiveness and we want them to be helpful kind and all that stuff but one of the things we don't talk a whole lot about is is how do we produce humbleness in our children kids that have that ability to understand what they're good at and what they are gifted in but also acknowledge that there are things that other people are better in and how to not see themselves as better than others because they're good at certain things or they have certain things we're going to talk a little bit about that today before we do that let's get into some quick housekeeping if you guys want to stay notified of all the new episodes that come out here at the Real Family Guys podcast, all you got to do is jump over to the Family Podcast. Right-hand side, scroll down just a little bit, you'll see a green box, and it says that you can put yourself on your email list. When you put yourself on the email list, you make sure that when Jeff and Trey have summer plans like these last two weeks and we don't have shows, you'll know that we don't have shows. However, when we put our new one out like we will this Thursday, you'll get an email that says, boom, hey, here's a new show topic and here's what it's about. Make sure you jump on there, sign up. We never sell your name. We don't sell any of your email addresses, any of that kind of stuff. We just use it to stay in contact with you jump on there it's super simple and quick get it knocked out and awesome guys one of the things i want to ask a personal request for those of you guys who haven't done it jump over to facebook and like the family podcast network that's where we post out all the real family guys podcast shows jump on over there make sure you like our stuff when you get there i want to say thanks to connie connie you are always so great about making sure you like these whenever you like these it does all the facebook junk and pops that little algorithm that lets us get seen by more people so jump over there before you jump out of there like it and then share it over to your facebook page make sure you get everybody else's attention all right also if you guys have any questions comments you got any topics that you want to go over we want to say thank you to john john you know who you are thanks for shooting out your topic request we're going to sit down and look through that and see what we can put together for you we love taking your show requests simple easy way to do that you can email us at trey gibson at the family podcast network.com or jeff at texas family institute.org shoot us your suggestions we want to talk about what you want to talk about maybe you don't even necessarily want to ask for questions or opinions or anything like that going on in your life but you found a cool article you want us to cover copy and paste that link right into an email I'll shoot that over to one of us, and we'll see about getting it up on the show. We want to talk about what you want to talk about. All right, Jeffrey, with all of the housekeeping out of the way today, what are we talking about today, brother? Well, you know, we like to stay on top of uh, all the stuff that is news in the in the interwebs and the the blogosphere and stuff that's out there. And one of the things that's uh, that's been trending this week, uh, of course, uh, is that uh, Muhammad Ali has passed away. Seventy four years old, 74. and this guy was a boxing legend. I mean, and there's no there, there's no way to uh, to to say that that's not accurate. I mean, Muhammad Ali. 
is the uh, the the iconic when when people think of, of boxers they may think of uh, of some other folks but um, but Muhammad Ali is is uh, not only the self proclaimed best and greatest but uh, but also just widely widely held that way because he you know he he delivered he didn't just say that he was the best he uh, he proved that he was the best at least for a while right. right. So, um, so I was looking around, and I love, I love just uh, just listening to his confidence and some of the things he said. Because not only did did he have a way with uh, with with boxing and, and a grace and agility and dexterity, but uh, but he knew it and he, and he said it. And uh, and so I was looking through some of the quotes of uh, <laughs> of how he described himself and, and his lightning speed, and uh, and some of these are great. Can, can I share some of these? Oh, of course. All right. So on boxing, of course, uh, you know the title of of our blog uh, today or, or our podcast today is is what he he once said uh, when it comes to how he how he was able to be so successful in a ring. Uh, he said, "Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. The hi- the hands can't hit what the eyes can't see." Mm-hmm. Right. And so that was a 1974 uh, boxing match called the Rumble in the Jungle. Right. And and so he made all these boasts about himself. Um, uh, he, he once said, I'm not the greatest. I'm the double greatest. Not only do I knock him out, I pick the round. I'm the boldest, the prettiest, the most superior, most scientific, most skillful fighter in the <laughs> ring today. Can you, this is great. Uh, in 1974, he, uh, he, he had a quote when, uh, in, in, I, it wasn't in 1974. In 1978, Rolling Stones feature, he was quoted as saying, "When I'm gone, boxing will be nothing again. The fans with cigars and the hats turned down will be there, but no more housewives and little men in the street and foreign presidents. It's going back to the fighter who comes to town, smells a flower, visits the hospital, blows a horn, and says he's in shape. That's old hat. I was the onlyest boxer in history. People ask questions like a senator. <laughs> that dude. Oh my Isn't that gosh. great? Yeah. Yeah. Listen to this boast. He said." I've done something new for this fight. I wrestled with an alligator. I chuckled with a whale. I handcuffed lightning. I thrown thunder in jail. Only last week I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean I make medicine sick. <laughs> this this guy So what we're trying to say is is that Ooh. we want you guys to teach your kids to be like Muhammad Ali so that way they can like be Muhammad Ali. That's what we're suggesting. <clears throat> all right, we can wrap up this show. That's all that we have right. for this episode. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, humility is one of those one of those weird things. Uh, you know, even when it comes to uh, comes to parenting, you know, I, I think that we all want our children to have a, a measure of humility, but we want it to be in balance, right? Because when people ask me, they're like, "Hey, Jeff, how are the kids?" I don't lead with, "Man, Mary Hannah, she is so humble." Right. Uh, Eleanor was the humblest little girl in, in school today. <laughs> we don't brag on our children's humility, but it's a quality that we admire, right? Right. And and so we have these outrageous claims by Muhammad Ali when it came to his skill in the ring, right? Um, but honestly, that that was one of the things that defined who he was. Um, you know, in addition to some of his boasting, he he also once said, "Champions aren't made in the gyms. Champions are made from something they have deep inside them—a desire, a dream, and a vision. They have to have last-minute stamina. They have to be a little bit faster, and they have to have the skill and the will. But then they have to be stronger than the skill." Um, and, and so he had some insight and yeah, there was no doubt that, yeah. that he worked hard to be the greatest and to be the best at, at what he did. Um, but at the same time, you know, Trey, you and I were talking a little bit before the show and, and this was fleeting. I mean, being the best, how long was he the best until, yeah. 
you know, until the, the next biggest, baddest guy got in the ring or until he got old enough that he couldn't defend with his hands and his fists. That's right. So, there's there's a, a character trait here that has to transcend our physicality. It has it has to be more of a of a of a personality trait than a an applicable skill. Um, I think that humility comes from being the best self we can be, and that's something that doesn't fade with time. So, um, you know, this is what caught my attention was was talking about Muhammad Ali and uh, and his boasting about being the best, uh, and it made me. <laughs> It made me really kind of light on on another article that we're gonna that we're gonna talk about today, which was great. Um, it was written by let's see what's her name, uh, Jamie uh, at uh, Jamie Am- Emery, I think her name is. Uh, she has a website called SacredGroundStickyFloors.com, <laughs> which it's is good. It's a good, it's a good uh, website title. I like that. It's very very descriptive, right? And and she tells about an experience that she had uh, at a recital. And this resonated with me because we are just coming out of the spring recital time. My, my youngest daughter, Eleanor, does ballet, and she's amazing. She really is. Um, this is going to sound weird at, at the end of this <laughs> this podcast because of what we're going to talk about. But I, I got to brag. Ellie is really very good. <laughs> she is dainty and, um, and graceful and uh, dexterous and agile. And, uh, and so I, I enjoy watching her dance and she's good and she works hard and she practices, um, to be the best uh, ballet dancer that she can be. And I really enjoy seeing her do that, but I don't always enjoy the hoopla that goes along with recitals or the fact that, <laughs> that they, they try to showcase every skill level and it goes from being adorably incompetent, which is the, which is the, the, the little babies. You know, I the am ones stealing that, that phrase, Jeff. <laughs> they, they know how to how to jump their legs apart and how to dance in a circle. And so, as parents, <laughs> when we get our kids started in ballet, we know that that's the level they're at. And when it comes recital time, it's all that that level teacher can do to get her kids on stage and to get them to dance in a little circle <laughs> and look cute for the length of a song before everything falls apart. Right. Um, and then it goes up to the, the girls who have some skill, uh, and they're getting better all the way up to, uh, the, the girls who've been doing this since they were that adorably incompetent one. And now they are, um, they're lithe and flexible and skilled and they are amazing dancers. Right. Right. And in between, you just kind of have to love the kids and and appreciate their effort. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine though that uh, that a ballet recital is probably better and more enjoyable than um, going to a middle school band recital. Have you ever been to one of those, Trey? You know, uh, let's see. Yes, I take that back. Yes, I have. One of my adopted by heart daughters. I've been to one, but just just the one. Do you remember what your experience was like? It was <laughs> like how do I explain this kindly? Because my <laughs> adopted by heart daughter could hear this. Um, it was bad. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> no, but, I mean, not all of it was, but there were certain segments of the orchestra that were really good. And then there was just some that just really just they sucked. And so you mix them yeah. all together and you just you get it's like it's kind of like, oh, I don't know, like making chocolate cake with bad milk, you know. <laughs> all right. So we, we can both agree that we've set through recitals of, of varying degrees of skill. Um, so. So Jamie here at uh, her website, sacredgroundstickyfloors.com, has written a post that she titles, An Open Letter to My Children. You're not that great. <laughs> and that <laughs> caught my eye. And this actually, it caught my eye before all the stuff with Muhammad Ali uh, happened this last week. Um, but 
I, I thought that that was an interesting transition is, is here we are uh, acknowledging the life and career of, of a great boxer and, uh, and arguably an iconic uh, American. Um, but he made some boasts about himself that he was that great. And so I think it's interesting, you know, when we, when we think about parenting, um, I'm reminded of, of an old Chinese proverb that says, there's only one perfect child in the world and every mother has him. Yeah, that's right. Because we all kind of feel that way about our kids, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so we have this culture of telling our kids how great they are and, and praising them and encouraging them. And so it, it, was, it was refreshing, Trey. It was refreshing to run across a parenting website with a mom who loves her kids dearly but is willing to say, yeah, you're not all that in a bag of chips, kid. Go sit down. Yeah. You know, we've talked about this some in the past. And, and we've, you know, what's happened with a lot that's created this, you know, we, like, for instance, you know, my wife and I call it the, the gold star the gold star phenomenon where it's like, you know, we want everybody to, to get a gold star. We want everybody to think that they're really amazing at what they're doing. And uh, the reality is, is that most kids really aren't doing most things all that exceptionally. Now, they're right. gaining in their they're gaining in their knowledge and their abilities and their skill set and even their dexterity is is growing and and those are great things and we want them to feel proud of themselves for those things, but you know, we often overemphasize their greatness level and what's happened is is that we've started confusing uh, these ideas of self-confidence and self-esteem. And yeah. uh, we begin to think that our kids' self-confidence, that that overall way that they think and feel about themselves is tied to how they think about themselves or how they feel about themselves in a certain situation and so we spend a lot of time trying to keep them feeling good it's about positive reinforcement we want you oh that's amazing that's so outstanding oh my gosh that's incredible and so we spend a lot of time trying to build our kids up through like positive verbal reinforcement instead of allowing our kids also to experience that other side which is failure and we're going to talk a little bit more about that here i don't want to jump too far into this but i think it comes from a good place with most people they want their kids to feel good about themselves but that denies our ability to also experience not feeling good about ourselves and being able to grow and, and adapt and overcome through that experience. So good place, yeah, but th- there's value on both sides of this. And, uh, and obviously there's the extremes of extreme narcissism versus right. um, I- extreme self depreciation, you know? Right. Um, and in the middle is a quality that I've already identified, uh, which is humility. Um, I don't think that, uh, that, that Muhammad Ali was necessarily um, being egotistical when he made the claims. He worked hard yeah. to be the top dog. He worked out and he was skilled and he had the talent and he had the drive and, and that thing deep within himself that caused him to want to overcome his obstacles and succeed. So, you know, when, when he made the claim, I'm, I'm the greatest in boxing. That was, that was provable, yeah. <laughs> you know, for a time that, that was, right. um, and yet I, I think a lot of times, um, we, we have a, an overinflated sense of self and, and ego when we think that, that we're, and, and the danger is that, when we buy our own, um, our, our own, not line necessarily, but uh, our own line that, uh, that we're, that we're as great as we think we are. Sometimes we, we put ourselves in a position, um, to treat other people like we're better than them. And that's right. where I, I think that, uh, that, that it becomes a disservice to not acknowledge that humility is, it can be a virtue. So back to this article, um, Jamie, it was at a recital and, uh, and she experienced something and, and Trey, it's just one paragraph. So I'm just going to kind of read it because she, <laughs> it's great. Okay. So 
she uh, she says to her children, an open letter to my children, she says, I love you each. You're funny, you're talented, but as I sit at this dance recital, uh, I'm holding a foster baby that's in our home for the weekend, and I'm witnessing an American atrocity that I want you to remember. And it's not, it's not the baby, the drug-addicted baby that I'm holding and fostering. What I'm witnessing in the row ahead of me, a family has taken hot pink duct tape and marked off 22 seats. Now, we were specifically told not to do this at an informational meeting. Please always follow the rules. <laughs> but I'm watching this family, and they're counting off and naming Nina, Papa, Auntie Lori, Auntie Bitsy, Carl Baby, Daddy, Bubba, Uncle Mikey, Hanky. Now, these nicknames, while odd, are also not the issue. Um, she says, don't nickname me when I'm old. <laughs> don't. Don't, it's getting embarrassing. The two women marking off seats are oblivious to everyone around them. And quote unquote, Uncle Mikey just entered the auditorium with an enormous balloon bouquet. <laughs> I'm quickly able to conclude that they are the family of the infamous Kylie on page three of the recital program. She yeah, has just a, so you know, you got to know this is spelled K K Y Y L L I I E E. At first, in the trade, when I first read this, I thought. Well, that's a joke. She's just, uh, but no, it, this is like actually her name, right? And, and she, she brings that out. So she's on page three of the recital program and she has a full page ad. Guys, she's, she's five. five. The dead giveaway that they belong to her is that all of them have on pink t-shirts that say, we hope you dance, Kylie. <laughs> Don't ruin songs for people by making silly t-shirts with the lyrics. The <laughs> ad has Kylie in her recital costume in a professional portrait for the occasion. <laughs> Profe- she's I'm five. Sorry. A professional I'm sorry, I portrait. Laughing, guys. <laughs> I'm over the moon to see this chubby kindergarten perform. If only I could see over the balloons and the camera equipment that they're now setting up. Obviously, <laughs> Kylie, K-K-Y-Y-L-L-I-I-E-E, must be quite talented and very special because she needed two of every letter to spell her name. <laughs> As someone whose name has been missing an E in my spelling her entire life, I covered her vowels. Her name, by the way, is Jamie, J-A-M-I. Uh, she says, Dear Mary, John, Luke, Sophie, Sam, and, and any others we may have the privilege of raising, you will love your children like nothing you can fathom, so name them wisely. Otherwise, they will never have a personalized pencil from the museum gift shop. <laughs> All right, so Kylie enters with another auntie and two suitcases so that Mama can do her makeup. Nina brings McDonald's for the whole clan, and I can't help but remember the sign clearly stating, No outside food or drink. Again, I say, just follow the rules. Yes, they apply to you. So as I'm watching, I can't or I can't stop watching the insanity as I compose this blog post in my head, and I make a mental note to myself to write this to you. My dear Americanized children, you are not above the rules, and you aren't that great. I am not sorry if you feel less than your peers because I forgot to turn in the form for you to be highlighted in a program. As, not, as, much as, it hurt me, as, it, bleh, as much as it hurts me, Feel less than, esteem not yourself, feel lonely, feel unworthy, feel unaccomplished, feel small, feel lost, feel broken, feel the least, right? So this is her plea to her children. And, and at this point, she's just, she has some other observations about Kylie, um, but, but she talks about this virtue that we're going to talk about today here on the program, which is humility. She's seeing the spectacle of a family that has, um, I, I guess the point she's trying to make here is that they've gone a little bit overboard in trying to... Um, help Kylie feel, I don't know, what, what feeling are we going for here? Helping her feel noticed? Helping uh, her feel special? <laughs> Diva? Helping her feel... 
Um, <laughs> I'm going I'm diva. Wondering. I'm going diva. That's my that's my choice. There you go, diva. Yeah. You know what this <laughs> reminds me of, Trey? I when I was reading, I thought Honey Boo Boo. Have you Boo-Boo's, ever watched that show? Yes, I was thinking of Honey Boo Boo the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> now I have no idea how Kylie acts or how, but right. I remember the show Honey Boo Boo is just being one of those. You know, they call it a train wreck because it's horrific, but you can't look away. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's what she's describing here as she sees the lavishness which with with which the family is is making Kylie the center of attention. Now, I think there are times and occasions. I think birthdays are a great kind of, hey, it's your day. You know, let's let's focus on you. But guess what? This only lasts for a day. Don't get used to a kid, <laughs> you know. Um, so there are occasions where, where I, I think that there's a level of appro- appropriateness to this. But um, but I, I wonder at what point this kind of goes overboard. Um, I've got three kids, and I'd like to say that I love each one of them equally. <laughs> I think every parent is like, uh, Jeff, danger zone, danger zone. Right? <laughs> um, I, I would rather say I love each of my kids uniquely because they all require uh, a, a different way of approaching them, a different way of relating to them. Um, and I don't think it's fair to measure the intensity with which I love one as, as meaning that, that I don't love the others as much. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So... In, in this kind of culture where this kind of thing that happens with Kylie, and I say it that way just because her name is spelled K-K-Y-Y-L-L-I-I-E-E. No kidding. That's the spelling. Uh, I, I wonder, do I ever cross the line as a parent where I'm, I'm sending the wrong message to my kid about their own self-worth? Yeah. You know, this is a hard pill for parents to swallow, I think, because we, we like the, the idea of our kids to feel good about ourselves. And the reality is, is that when our kids feel good about themselves, there's all the science that backs up endorphin release, and endorphin release makes it easier for memory synapses to form and all that other stuff. When we feel good, we remember things better. When we feel bad, when we release things like, uh, oh, cortisol, right? No, what's the, is that the stress hormone? Yes, yeah, cortisol. cortisol. When we release cortisol, that actually blocks the ability to to, to remember stuff. And so, you know, we, we get this mentality that we must do those, you know, the, the, we must make our kids positives if we want them to, to, to be able to learn. And the reality is, is that there is a value in our kids not feeling good about themselves. Now, we don't want them to, to move into a, a state of depression where their body begins to have chemical imbalances and then it reinforces the feelings and the feelings reinforce the emotions. We don't, we don't want them to get there, but that is not as easy as a lot of parents want to think that it is. And, and our yeah. kids being able to take a, a grounded sense of view of themselves and look at themselves honestly and understand what am I great at? What am I not good at? What? And here's the thing. I think that we get black and white with this, Jeff. We see this as we must teach our kids what they're really bad at and what they're really good at. But I don't think that's the enemy. I think the enemy is those things that they're average at, those things that they're just as good as anybody else at. But we spend so mm-hmm. much time fo- focusing on that dichotomy that they that, that kids will, will have a tendency to feel inflated as though they're better than everybody else in these certain things. And the reality is, is that they're just average in those areas. And when we can teach our kids to see themselves, you know what, you really are right across the mean in what everybody else does. But the one thing that you have that is amazing compared, if we can teach our kids to understand who they are, number one, that puts them in that place where they can see everybody else as one thing, and that's an equal. Not somebody you know, who's above them or not somebody who's below them, but it allows them and, to get equality. Go ahead. And, and that sense of balance is something that uh, I'm, I'm not sure that we always strive for because um, 
being average is not necessarily bad. And I think right. sometimes we, we equate that with if we're not good, that means that we're and we're not special. That means that we're not enough. That's right. And that's not the case. And, and so uh, it's really kind of weird that, that if we if we focus on one thing that our kids are really good at and and even if we acknowledge they're not so good in this other area. We may inadvertently, by how much time and attention we, we spend focusing on something they are really good at, either talented-wise or because they've poured skill and, and effort into um, practice, you know, that we may inadvertently send send the message that even the, in those areas that, that they're just kind of average, that that means that they're not enough, that, that, right. that we're not proud of those things as well, right? And And that's why I love the rest of this article, you know, after she, she acknowledges what's, <laughs> what's going on with, with Kylie and her family. Um, she turns her focus to her own kids and she, and she honestly, she takes kind of a, a, a spiritual bent here and, um, and talks about, uh, what her goal is for, for her parenting. She says, if, if you get to the point where you feel like we've inflated things or like you have to be the best or something like that, if you believe that you are greater than, then your father and I have failed miserably because among the broken, you'll find Christ. And her, and my prayer for you, for her kids, she says, is that you see Christ everywhere. Right. And, and I'm reminded as she starts to turn toward, toward this, um, this religious lesson that she wants to teach her kids. I'm, I'm actually reminded of, um, of a passage where Jesus is trying to teach humility to, to his disciples. And I think that he is shooting for that middle ground as well. Um, do you, do you remember the parable where, where he talks to his uh, disciples about when you go to a feast, be careful where you sit. If you sit down at, at the head of the table, you risk the, the master of the feast coming and saying, no, this seat isn't for you and moving you down to a less esteemed position. And if you come in um, and, you, and you don't esteem yourself, but you take just a, a seat anywhere, then you, will, you at least create the room for uh, the, the master of the house to come and say, no, no, let, move up, sit, me sit me among up, the yeah. more esteemed, right? Mm-hmm. And so he, he's trying to, to say, allow other people to, to kind of let you know kind of where, where you should value yourself. And this is where I, I want to I issue the caveat. Other people don't set our worth. Right. But at the same yeah. time, how we think about ourselves in relation to other people, um, it matters. It matters in, in our social pecking order here. And, and I think that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that even though he's a rabbi that, who's widely revered and, and respected, and even though they're his disciples and they're following this rabbi, that even then that doesn't mean that they're better than anybody else. And they shouldn't start thinking that way. You know, uh, this is a this is. I'm, I'm, for, did you wrap that topic up? I need to wrap. I'm about yeah, to yeah, move on ahead. to a new one. The sure. the one thing that I want to say uh, about. Um, Jamie, right? Yeah, Jamie. First off, Jamie, if you ever get to hear in this great article, I love what you wrote here. Yes. Uh, the the she Jamie and I agree on everything. There's one thing that that you guys know me, and you know I'm going to hit on these things every time we get there. The one thing that I'm always very careful with agreeing with is that people must follow always follow the rules. Now, I teach my kids to know what right and what wrong is and to understand why those things are right and wrong and to follow your own moral compass. Now, why? Because sometimes rules are created that are made arbitrarily. Uh, sometimes they're made in, in eras of literally, you know, generations ago that it doesn't matter now. And so I teach kids to follow your own sense of right and wrong. So I'm very trepidatious to say follow the rules because you're supposed to because sometimes rules aren't necessarily uh 
for us personally, that's a scriptural, spiritual thing, what we believe that the scriptures say about what is morally right and versus what's morally wrong, which can differ from somebody who's an atheist, for say. So I'm very careful to say that the rules apply to you, follow them no matter what. But again, teaching kids about what is right and wrong, valuable here, uh, especially because I, I take the situation that she uses like no food or drink inside the auditorium. Is that a rule that I that I think people should follow? Absolutely. It's not my property. It's not my home. When somebody else owns that property, then somebody else gets to dictate what you can and cannot do. But again, I want to encourage people, teach your kids to follow what's right and what's wrong, not just follow the rules. Sorry, that's a little bit of a segue, slightly <laughs> disconnected, but I did want to I did want to throw that out there. Well, but but I think this is this is all goes back to as parents, what are our goals for our kids? You know, right. do we want them to we can explicitly teach them things like you're talking about right and wrong, and then we teach them lessons by how we relate to them, how we respond to them, and how we treat them. And and I think that, uh, that that's that's what Jamie's pointing out here is that that we may be sending the wrong message about their giving them an, an inflated sense of importance based on how we focus on on things. And so as parents, um, I, I I love the fact that she puts into words here. Um, not only her her religious conviction, where she says, you know, to her children, you know, my prayer for you is that you came to serve and not be served, and and that by watching her example of how she does things, she's like, I'm still going to put pictures of you on Facebook and brag That's about you. Right. I'm still going to cut the crust right. off your sandwiches. I'm still going to do all these things, but I hope that you don't take the wrong. I pray that this will never make you feel like you are more than those around you. Yeah, right. That's good. And so this is how she relates it back to the recital thing. She says, I, I pray that, that as, as we, as well-meaning parents, we don't create these monsters, right? I, I hope, I mean, she's holding this baby that she's fostering and she's sitting out in the recital area. And the contrast between what, how she's seeing the young lady in front of her, five-year-old Kylie being treated versus the opportunities that this drug-addicted baby she's fostering, she's like, you have to see the tragedy of the poor and the crack addicted. This baby I'm holding may never have a recital portrait taken or or her name in lights. And it's sad, right? But it's also sad to learn too late that you're not that great. That's right. right? Yeah. And so this is her prayer for her kids. I love how she wraps it up in this, in this last paragraph. She says, Sophie, <laughs> who I guess is her daughter in the recital, Sophie, I forgot flowers for you after the recital. But listen, you did a really good job. Don't quit school to pursue a career in dance, baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't lying to any of you when I, was, uh, when I said I was proud of your C-minus paper. If you tried, if you cared, and that's how you were graded, then bravo. Work hard. Be willing to get dirty. Give away your lunch or your last dollar. Sit with the lonely. Stand up for injustice. Follow those rules. Walk through the fire. You're going to do just fine, right? What a great message for, for a parent to be able to articulate. And and I, I like I said, Jamie, you did a great job. I really love this article um, about, you know, how do we how do we strike this balance with our kid of letting them know they're important to us, but you know, don't let that sense of, of you're important to mom and dad mean that your place in the world is, is not to serve others. You know, right? what if we were genuinely honest about what our kids are exceptional at and what they're what they're average at? Now, don't get me wrong. Just learning to do average things is a big thing. Uh, you know, the, the mastery of certain things like tying your shoes to an adult doesn't seem like a very big deal, but to a young kid, that's a huge thing, and we need to praise our kids and build them up in those things. But what if we really looked at them and their potential end result, and we were able to be honest about those things that they can do just as good as everybody else, which is great. We need them to be there, yeah. but also be able to look at those things and honestly assess and really dig deep and find those things, no matter how abstract they may be at the time. 
and help them understand what they are truly exceptional at. What kind of kids would could we produce if we were genuinely not spending all that time building them up over the little things? I mean, it's like, I mean, have you ever sat there and just ate sweet thing after sweet thing after sweet thing after sweet thing and drank sodas and sodas? Then you go to drink a Coke and it's, you know, it just tastes fine. But then you don't have anything sweet for like three or four days. And then you go drink that Coke again. And it's just like, holy smokes, that's incredibly sweet again. What if we were able to do that with our kids emotionally and mentally to where we didn't sit there and try to spend all this time, you know, uh, um, overwhelming them, that's right, with their sense of, of what they're amazing at, so that when we found that one thing that they were genuinely amazing at, it made it all that much sweeter for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I love the, the skills that, uh, that my kids have that I'm able to, to be really proud of and be able to point to, um, but I, I also love acknowledging um, the character traits that are hard to quantify. Um, but when I see my kids do them, I'm just I'm amazed at how they're able to be kind, how they're able to be compassionate, how they're able to be considerate. You know, and those are things that that um, that it, it's hard to see. It's not like scoring a touchdown or making a basket or you know dancing really well yeah. or you know drawing something that that is tangible and 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 you know measurable um and and so i I think that uh, this quality of of humility is connected to um helping them understand their worth and and not just what i think their worth is but helping them to be able to uh to have a sense of of being able to find that for themselves does that make sense because if i know if i know that i'm valuable uh and that my worth is not determined by how other people see me or how how good or how badly I do something, but, but my, my self-worth is something that, that is, is pegged to a different standard. Um, you know, I, I think that that's something that, that is important in being able to teach them what humility looks like for them. And, and for me and my family, I want my kids to understand that, that where I peg my self-worth and where I, I, I think it's helpful for anybody to, but especially for my kids with our belief system, is that my self-worth is not dependent on how much money I make or the job that I have or even how good a dad I am or how bad a husband I am. That my self-worth is, is something or my, my value, my worth itself, uh, I peg to the fact that uh, that I believe that, that God gives me value and that, that my my sense of value because it's God given. I don't, I don't argue with God. Uh, he, he says that I'm valuable and has demonstrated it through, um, the things in my life that I believe God has, has blessed me with. Most importantly, uh, my belief in Jesus is having died to create a relationship for me and God. Um, and so because I believe I have value in God's eyes, that makes it, makes everything else in life bearable for me because that's something that is not dependent on, what other people think of me or how good or how bad I do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's outstanding. And, and that's something I'd like to convey to my kids so that as they grow, um, that we are going to be influenced by what other people think about us. And we're going to be influenced by how good or how bad we do things. Um, and I think sometimes our sense of self-worth just kind of gets covered up with how the world wants us to think about things rather than what I just described that, that God would like us to understand that, that he gets the final say in how valuable we are. Right. That's good. And and once we have a solid idea of that, I think that allows us to, to find a way to, uh, to be humble and to acknowledge, I know what I'm worth. And so I can respond to other people without thinking that I'm better than, but I can also respond to other people without thinking that I'm less than. So, um, 
how do we do this? How do we convey to our kids what humility looks like and, and what is a healthy humility, right? So uh, we're going to transition here to another website. Uh, this one is allprodad.com, www.allprodad.com. And the name of the article is 10 Ways to Teach Your Children Humility. And uh, it's probably going to be no surprise that this is all stuff that we talk about here on the Real Family Guys <laughs> podcast. It, isn't it amazing? I, I find the things that agree with us and then that just shows how smart we are to begin with. That's exactly <laughs> right. It's just it's all self-fulfilling. So. See how see how great we are, Trey. We're awesome. Boom. We're the greatest. All the research proves it. <laughs> That's right. No no confirmation bias going on at all. Negative. All right. So at allprodad.com, ten ways to teach your children humility. Here's our top ten list for the day. Uh, the first one, surprise, surprise, modeling. Um, and this is what we were just talking about. It's, it's what Jamie did for her kids and being able to to articulate it and say it with words. But uh, but the author says, never underestimate the power of teaching through example. Humility must be consistently modeled as a lifestyle, not as an on-again, off-again example. Right? We've got to be consistent in how we model what humility looks like. So that begs the question for me, Trey. If I'm going to say this, if I'm going to advocate that we need to model it, um, how am I humble? How do I model humility for my kids? You know, I, first off, I want to make sure that I'm very clear. I don't, I don't ace this very well, uh, but there are a few things that I've very strategically done in my life to help do that. One of my biggest things is I grew up in a hierarchical family. My wife is in a significantly more hierarchical family. Now, when I say that, what I mean is, is that there's different people that have different stations. For instance, let's take my wife's side of the family. Men are the number one. I mean, they kind of have the rule of the roost. They get to do what they say. They get to, I mean, they, they kind of get the number one. Then it moves down to the ladies. Then it moves down to the young ladies. Then it moves down to the kids. And everybody has their station. So if I walk into like my family, my wife's family's house, a kid will get up out of their seat to give it to me. Now, some people say, well, mm-hmm. that's, that's, you know, that's kind, that's polite, whatever else. And in some cases, whenever it's the kid's individual choice to do that, I absolutely agree. But in most cases, with the kids that I see, they do it because if they didn't, they get smacked in the back of the head for the <laughs> not. You see what I'm saying? So you see yeah. the difference there. And so with me, one of the big decisions that I made was, was that I, I do not have a chair in our house. I do not have a chair that is mine. I do not have a chair that if I walk in, I expect anybody to step up. I don't even expect one of my kids to get out of a chair when I walk into the room. I want the kids to know that they have a chair. So let's, let's say we've got all of our chairs on our back porches, right? Mm-hmm. And and I, and I come outside and let's say there's three chairs and there's three people sitting in a chair. I do not ask a kid to get up from that chair. I go and find myself my own chair. Now, Again, I'm not mo- I'm not trying to present myself as an amazing model for humility or anything like that, but that's one little small thing that I do to communicate to my kids, I am not more important than you just because I'm dad. Just out of curiosity, um, if there was a pregnant lady or an elderly person and they walked into the room, would you instruct one of your children, if they didn't do it on their own, would you instruct one of them to get up and offer their seat? Never once. Not a single time. I would do it myself. However, we get into fights over who will be the person to get up. I, I, I'm not trying to overexemplify this. We really do get into fights over who's going to be the quote-unquote kindest person. And we'll both stand up at the same time and be like, no, no, I got up first. No, no, it's you. No, Dad, you go ahead and sit down. No, baby, you, it's okay. You got that. You were here longer than I And we'll, we'll, we'll tussle in that. But no, uh, we're quick to do it, but, uh, but I never expect a kid to get up in a situation like that. I'll do it before them. Well, ironically, by doing that, 
um, you're, you're exemplifying what we're talking about is modeling. Um, and, and I would say that there were, at, at some level, um, you, you had to, in addition to modeling it, you probably also had, I, I would think that you would have to point it out and, and say to our kids, cause even if we model it, it's okay to contextualize what we're modeling and by saying, Hey, I'm getting up because this is the right thing to do, you know? So, um, I, I think that that just goes back to the power of teaching through example and, and why modeling is the top of the list for how to teach our, our children humility. We've got to demonstrate it and show it ourselves in the first place. That was a great example, Trey. Well, you know, and when I think about this, and we'll move on here in just a second. I know we're wrapping sure. up on this one, but, you know, I think that, that if, if I were to do a number one, the very first one that I would come up with is we have to see kids as being as important as us. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot we of times... We have to value them, yeah. That's exactly right. We walk into this in a lot of cases where we don't... We see the kids as less than us. They should get up because they are kids and I'm the parent. And I think in a lot of cases we have to value our kids as being as important as us before we can even get to the point where we're willing to model this for them. Because if I'm walking through this under the filter of I'm more important than my kid because I pay the bills or whatever other, you know, justification I can come up with, I won't get up and do this because my mind has already triggered that set of responses to say, no, you should get up first. Do you mean that we have to see our children as people? Is that what you're trying to say, Trey? That we have to see them as human beings in every way, shape, and form that we are human beings? No, I wouldn't say that. Trey. (laughs) (laughs) Sarcasm for the win. All right. So the number uh, on on our top ten list here, number two is um, build them up. And the author says, this may sound counterintuitive, but it's important to understand that humility always comes from a belief, a position of belief, strength, and self-assurance. Um, and this is what I was going to say earlier, Trey, uh, that, that this is the balance of humility is not is not thinking of ourselves as less than somebody else. That's it's right. thinking of ourselves as appropriately equal to somebody else, right? We, if Traditionally, if, we call that false humility. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So we need to make sure that uh, that we are helping them to to understand their own self worth by building them up as much as we remind them to not be built up too much. It's, it's that balance, right? Um, number three says encourage and help them to be the very best they can, uh, no matter what they do, right? And so um, I'm reminded of, of other podcasts we've, we've done where we talk about um, the experiments that have been done where where they you know. The researchers tell the kids going in to take a test, you know, man, you guys are the smartest. You guys are the smartest. And then they go in thinking, I'm the smartest. And so they take a test and everyone does pretty well on the test. But they tell another group of kids, hey, try your hardest. Try your hardest. And those kids try their hardest. And then when they bump up the level of the test, the kids who think that they were the smartest because they've been told they're the smartest suddenly have anxiety because now they have to demonstrate they're the smartest on a harder test where maybe, man, if I don't do so well, people aren't going to think I'm the smartest anymore. They actually had worse results than those kids who were told just do your best because so the kids that, yeah you know so research has been done about this that, that encouraging our children to try hard and put effort in actually has better outcomes than telling them that they are the best just help them to be the best them that they can be so encourage them and help them to be the best they can be no matter what they do that's good um i mentioned it before that number four on their list they said make sure our kids understand where their real value comes from um he says it's easier to sidestep pride or arrogance when children understand that they're valued simply because we choose to value them, because they're our child, because we love them. Not because they win the race, they have a prettier mom and a smarter dad, they earn a higher income. That their value comes just from existing, not from doing. You know, that's a that's an interesting thing. You know, and I think one of the reasons why 
this is such a difficult one to grasp is because I really think that as a species, maybe maybe it's a species, maybe it's more of a societal thing, but we like the idea of I am better than anybody else. At, oh, yeah. My kid is better than anybody else. at. We like that. We're attracted to that mentality. I think because we feel like it's a self-reflection on us as parents. Oh, look how good of a job I did because I raised X kid that did, is better than anybody else at. But I think th- I mean, this seems so simple. But when you really break down number four, make sure they understand where their real value comes from. They come, their value comes because they exist, because they are yep. human beings. When we do that, it takes inequality and it levels it out. And I think there's a certain, a certain aspect of this we don't like because it allows every kid to be exactly the same. We all have that same starting point, but there's such a beauty in this. When we can look at every single person, it doesn't matter whether they're Islam, whether they're, they're Christian, it doesn't matter whether they're anything. Does, I mean, there's a thousand different names we can throw out there. We all matter because of one thing. We're all human. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I um, I may have shared this story before, but I, I had a a rough week, uh, therapy week, because I, I tend to have like waves of, of issues, like the same issue and the same client <laughs> two or three times in a row. <laughs> and um, I, I don't know how that works out or if I just am, if I'm attuned to it. But um, I remember one time I came home um, after working with a family and um, I remember that the the, the the man that I was speaking to was couple therapy and the man I was speaking to um, said something to the effect of every morning I wake up trying to put a smile on that woman's face and pointing to his wife and they were estranged. They were separated every morning. I w- and I just, I try to make her happy. And I remember asking him, has there ever been anybody else in your life that you tried to make happy? And without missing a beat, without taking a pause, a breath or a second, he said, well, yeah, my dad. <laughs> And I was like, really? Was there ever an indication? Did he ever tell you that he was that he was proud of you? And he said, Well, I can. I remember one time when we moved down from from you know into Texas from where we used to live, and and he came out and he saw my ranch, and and he said, Son, I'm I'm proud of what you've done. And I was like, Oh, well, that's interesting. So he was proud of what you did, but was he proud of who you are? And that made me wonder. I was like, man, this guy has been trying to, he's, ever since he was a kid, trying to define his value and his self-worth by needing his dad to say it. And, and I think it's important. I think dads ought to say that to their kid, right? But he was trying to do it by his deeds. And I remember going home and Ethan, man, he had to have been maybe five, four or five at the time. I remember because I went home and I sat down in a chair and he came over and, and was climbing on me. Um, he was still small enough to do that. Now he'd squish me. <laughs> but he was climbing up on me. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, he climbed up on me, and, and I remember looking at him as he was standing on my thighs, and I was looking up at him, and I was like, "Ethan, um, so what do you think you need to do in order to make me love you?" And out of his mouth came some wisdom. Trey, he he thought about it for a second. He said, "I don't know, just be born, I guess." Mm, and I was that's like, heavy oh. duty. I was like, "Thank goodness, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing something right." If, if, if at five heavy. years old, he already knows that all he has to do is exist. Right. And that he understands that the, the, his value is not is not tied to him. I am proud of him, but he doesn't have to do anything to make me proud of him, you know. So uh, number five on our top 10 list, we need to make sure we never humiliate our kids. Humiliate and humility um, have have similar roots, but they are very different not things. Not common. Yeah. Not the same. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're not the same. Humility uh, can't be imposed is what the, the writer of this blog says. It's important not to confuse humiliation, bullying, or beating down uh, with an education in humility, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know a better way to say that is, is well, humiliation. Go ahead. Let's approach this from what I think most of us are going to operate in a position where this isn't going to make a whole lot of sense to us because, you know, we probably have kids that aren't self-aggrandizing, self-aggrandizing. Mm-hmm. They're not self-aggrandizing themselves. And so, you know, we don't necessarily connect with this. We're going to have some folks that are listening to this show. Maybe your kid spends all that time thinking, I, and I, Jeff and I talked about this at the start of the show, this is dating us, but I'm older than a bag of chips. You know what I'm saying? They, they have that mentality where they're sitting there and they're, they're professing themselves as being greater than what they are. Mm-hmm. Let's talk real quick about what that means. When your kid acts that way, if you have a kid who talks as though they are the crap of life, your kid does not really believe that. Your kid does not really think that they are more incredible. Yes, they are, Trey. You don't seem to understand. They really think that they're better than that. I can promise you, kids that feel as though they are balanced and as though they are where they need to be don't feel the need to do this. When they do that, they are trying to fill some goal. Now, there are some levels of psychopathy that we can talk about that they get into that that may be. I would still argue that they don't feel that that's where they need to be. So humiliation, this idea that they're on this pedestal, they think that they're great and mighty and high, so I need to knock them down as a parent, is not a... Danger. That, danger. Yeah, danger, Will Robinson. This is not <laughs> where you want to go with this. Uh, uh, knocking your kids down and humiliating them will not produce more. What you're really going to do is reinforce what they already think about themselves. I'm crap. I'm not any good. I'm not amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to have the opposite result of that. If nothing else, on an emotional and mental level, it's going to have that, even if they don't produce that non-humility more uh, and, and that self-aggrandizement and even more. That's what's really going to happen. So don't try to humiliate your kids. It's not going to make the situation better. Uh, so it, it just don't do number five. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when you think about it logically, you know, if if we're thinking about this on, on some sort of pendulum to where on the one side they've swung down to their, their self-esteem is really low and we want to build them back up, we don't have a problem doing that. But I, I think what we're looking at here is is if we see a kid who who is demonstrating or, or seems to be self-aggrandizing, like, like Trey said, or making themselves seem better than they're at, um, it seems logical. Oh, well, I need to take him down a peg. And I've even heard parents say this. I, I, I need to, I need to show them that, peg, right. yeah, that, that they're not all that, you know, that they're, um, and, and so we think, oh, well, the way to do that is to, whoa, 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 wait, we're not going to humiliate them. That's not the answer. Here. Instead, what if we demonstrate humility or humbleness, right? Um, instead of humiliate, humiliating is, uh, is a way of tearing somebody down and there, you, I don't think it's possible to um, to effectively tear in a parenting situation tear somebody down in order to build them up. Does that make sense? Exactly. I completely agree. Yeah. All right. Um, number six, we need to expose our children to great teachers and their stories. And they they've got some uh, some good examples here. Jesus, Mother Teresa, Eric Liddell. Eric Liddell is the uh, the man who inspired the movie Chariots of Fire. Uh, there are all sorts of great role models of what humility looks like. Um, and uh, and yes, we need to expose our, our children to great stories so they have something a reference point of what humility looks like. Um, and I, I, I mean, we can think of all sorts of, of great examples of, of people that exemplify what humility looks like in serving others. Um, and, um, and so, 
we don't have to look very far to, to find those examples, but we need to expose our children to them. As a matter of fact, I, I was thinking recently that um, as difficult as it is to watch, uh, Trey, did you ever watch the movie Schindler's List? Oh, yeah, that's a heavy-duty movie there. Yeah, and it came out a long time ago. It came out when I was in high school, so that was over 20 years ago. But at the same time, um, I think it was a powerful, powerful narrative of serving others, even uh, in a self-sacrificial way. So um, even though it's hard to watch, I'd love to watch that with my kids and be able to point and say, watch how he serves others, watch how he cares, and he is willing to see people as people instead of dehumanizing them the way the Nazis did. So, yeah, okay, great examples. Um, Number seven, teach your children to serve. I think that this one is crucial, Trey. I think that that being able to look Uh, beyond yourself and serve others, serve the homeless, serve the poor, serve your family, serve one another. This is not just a religious message. I think this is a societal message about how we care for each other and by our actions – by our actions, we learn how to humanize others and to see them as, as equals in, in our own humanity. That's brilliant. I, That's brilliantly put, Jeff. I, I absolutely agree with you on that. Did I cut you off? No, no. I, I, I was just going to say, I, I don't think that, that we can effectively um, model humility without ourselves serving others. And so I, I think not just teaching them to serve, but they, they need to see us serving as well. I was thinking a phrase exactly the same. You nailed it. That's exactly what I wanted to say. That's because I'm the greatest, Trey. That's <laughs> flow like a butterfly, sting like a bee, Jeff. We gotta come up with some kind of some kind of a dad um, kind of thing that uh, you know float like a um, like a papa bear. I don't know. Papa bears don't float. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna work on that. I'm gonna work on that one. But we're gonna come up with some corner, some sort of real Family Guys, you know, um, you know, philosophize with the greatest and and. Um, discipline with ease. I don't know. You know, I'm a firm believer that in terms of the idea of service, that when we look at people as equals to us, we're willing to serve them. When we see people as less than us, we see them as people that need to serve us. When we see people as greater than us, which I think are both unhealthy. Uh, you know, you can say, oh, well, I see other people as greater than me. And then people will, will portray this as being like some kind of idealism I disagree with that. I don't think seeing other people as greater than and me as less than as mm-hmm. being any better. It's when we see each other as what we are. We were all born on this earth, created equal. Now, we, we talk about that in Americanism as, as kind of an ideal, but I really think that they were on to something, not just on a societal level, but even on a scriptural level. We were all created as equals. And we be, when we can get there, is whenever you see the real magic begin to happen. But if we can't have that mentality of the person right across from me who completely disagrees with me is is equal to me as I am, as they are, until we get to that point, we can't get to that point where we can serve. And so I, I agree with Jeff completely on this. The ability to be able to serve others is tantamount to humility because it's whenever we can see other people as equals to us, as no better or no worse, no matter what they believe, no matter what they think, that's the only time where we can get to that place where we can say equals serve each other versus I'm better than you. You serve me. You're better than me. I'll serve you. You know, and, and I think that uh, the, the, this next point here, number eight, um, circles back to how to demonstrate that to our kids. So we, we talked about teaching our kids to serve others um, as number seven on our top ten list. Number eight says uh, coach them how to respond. 
And this is kind of when, earlier when you were talking about whether whether we would get up out of our chair to offer it to somebody else. And, and I was asking you, would you tell your kid to do that if, if they came in and you said no? Uh, I would demonstrate. I would, I would be the first one to do it, right? Um, number eight is what I was talking about as far as contextualizing them, uh, contextualizing why we're doing what we're doing. And so the author of this blog uh, explains his point here. He says, kids need to be taught how to say please and thank you as much as they need to be taught how to brush their teeth and stay out of the street. Why do we expect them to know what humility looks like without guidance. So here's a good example. Look, son, that's a great job you did on your science fair project. You deserve to win the prize. Now, tomorrow in class, let's practice saying thanks. Or, you know, I appreciate that. My, fr- my, my friend Matt did this project too. Or I don't think I could have won without the help of my teacher. So we, we coach them on what it looks like to not self-aggrandize, right? To, to respond with behaviors and with generous speech, Right. Um, and also, I mean, Trey, I, when I work with kids, the other side of this is true. Some kids have a hard time and need to be coached on how to responding so that they don't show poor, poor self-esteem as well. Right. Where they're not dismissing every good thing that's ever said about them. Hey, Jeff, you did a good job on that science fair project. Oh, well, I didn't do a good job at all. Or, you know, hey, Jeff, that, that looks really nice. No, it doesn't. It looks stupid. You know, the, our kids need to be coached how to say thanks. I appreciate that. And, and not and not denigrate themselves as well, right? I don't think there's a better way to teach this than there is in parenting because the reality is our society will even support the fact that because I am the dad and my kids are the kids and because I do Mm -hmm. all the things that I do, they will say you have a higher station in the Gibson family than, say, Grant, my son does, right? And I don't think there's a better way to model that. They're talking about the use of the word like yes, sir, and no, sir. I don't think there's a better way to do this than to say things like when my son says, hey, dad, and I say, yes, sir, because what I'm saying is that's what I expect for him to say to me. But I am also expecting myself to say that to you by doing that. What I'm saying is in society, you are equal and as important as me as a person. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have more knowledge or more experience in life than my son Grant does, because I do. But what it indicates to my son is you are because I expect you to hold that as a as a moral belief system, right and wrong, saying yes, sir. That's a big thing in our family is yes, sir. And no, sir. I expect them to do that. However, I also hold myself to the same thing because we as human beings are equal. There is no better way to communicate that to your kid than to spend the time saying yes, sir, and no, sir, to our kids. I know that sounds simple and I'm almost oversimplified, but I really believe that. Now, it's not just the action of saying sir, and, you know, yes, sir, and no, sir, to our kids, but it's that mentality of seeing them as just as important as me, as mom or dad. Yeah, and and coaching them is the way that we get that, so that we're not we're not commanding them, we're not controlling them. That's we're, right. We're coaching them. I I love that term. All right. So number nine on our top 10 list, and I I think this is great. We need to teach our our children how to apologize because sometimes they're wrong and we need to know how to acknowledge that. Sometimes we need to be able to say, wow, you know, I I went too far or wow, that wasn't good enough. I'm, I'm sorry. And, um, and that's a, that can be hard to do. <laughs> you know, I, I've seen kids be so resistant to saying I'm sorry because they see I'm sorry as uh, as a weakness or as a vulnerability or as an admission that, that they're wrong or they're bad in some way. But that's not what apologizing is about. 
in a lot of ways, it's it's a it's a key component of humility of understanding that sometimes we're wrong and we have to we have to enact a behavior to demonstrate that that we recognize that we were wrong and we're trying to make things right. You know, I've had to do that a few times with my, I say a few, like a half a dozen times with my kids, but I've had to walk into the room and say, listen, guys, the way I responded to that was absolutely incorrect. And it's against what we believe in this family. And let me tell you, man, that is a hard thing to do. It is a hard thing to do with a kid. But I am willing to say that I have gained more respect from my kids when I've apologized to them for doing. I I have broken our family rules before. And I've had to go to my kids and say, I broke a rule and I am sorry. I would be willing to say that there has been more power in what I've done in those situations than when I've actually exercised exactly what I say we believe as a family. Because I'm willing to admit. I'm I am flawed. I'm wrong. I got that in the wrong way that what we believe as a family. And I think in a lot of ways that normalizes our kids because our kids are growing up trying to figure out what the right thing is and why we do it. And they don't always nail one and two on those things. Right. And when we show them I'm human, I believe these things and I screw them up. We teach them it's normal when you do it, too. Absolutely. Teaching them to apologize is a powerful part uh, of this process. I, I love this list and, and wrapping it up with another great gym. Number 10 on the list, teaching our children to give thanks. Uh, I think that having an attitude of gratitude is directly connected to understanding our own value. Um, a person saying thank you puts them in this posture that that shows appreciation and um and it's it's that kind of, of ability to be able to to be grateful for what we have that gives us an appreciation um, for for what's valuable, what's not valuable, and helps us to be able to kind of um, kind of find our place in 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 our own role and setting our own value. So being grateful for what we have and what we received and what we can do, um, I think sets us up for um, feeling a sense of awe and appreciation for um, for what we have. You know, I don't know if they meant for this to be, you know, I mean, this is a great list. I could see this being written up as some great suggestions. I don't know if they meant this as deeply as it can be taken, but number 10 has a lot of weight to it. When you teach a kid to give thanks, they're saying teach it as something that they should do. I would argue that number 10 is actually the byproduct of everything else. When we teach our kids to see themselves as not as self-aggrandized, amazing, the most wonderful, amazing, whatever it is ever, and we teach them to see themselves for what they are, here is who I am. Here are the things that I'm bad at. Here are the things that I'm average at. Here are the things that I'm amazing at. When our kids see that and they see themselves for who they are as equal to everybody else around them, Anything that is done to them or anything that is done for them can be seen as a gift. I'm not especially deserving of, take the first author that we quoted in this whole thing, Janie, right? Janie, I think it was Janie, when she talked about the, the little girl who had the pink balloons and everything else, right? They can begin, kids can begin to see this as, I am no better than anybody else, and yet I have a family that is willing to come to me and have bouquets and all the family there and to cheer and to give me extra letters and my name because they see me as that amazing. Everything can become a gift to a kid when they begin to understand themselves for who they are. So in other words, it doesn't become a sense of entitlement. I deserve balloons and pink and shirts and all this other amazing stuff that my family can do. And it becomes as, look how much my family loves and cares about me. 
because they're willing to come with pink and balloons and shirts and all. And so instead of it becoming something that I deserve, it becomes, look how much my family loves and cares about me. And how much does that generate a spirit of thankfulness? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I appreciate that, uh, that perspective on, you know, what, what their family did wasn't necessarily wrong. They were, they were loving right. on her. Right? right. Um, but at the same time, we've got to be careful about the unintended messages that we may send. So, right. Agreed. so as we wrap up this list, uh, Trey, I, I think I speak for both of us when I say that, uh, that we humbly offer this, uh, this particular podcast, uh, for your listening pleasure. Uh, we hope that, uh, that this has been uplifting and this is, uh, something that will help you to continue to be the best that you can be for your kids, um, and give them the kind of parent that, uh, they deserve to have one that loves them, sees them as a, as a equal, uh, human being and hopes that, uh, that the effect that we have on, on our kids is going to enable them to, uh, to be able to pass on that love and um, and you know just keep that going to the next generation as well so that Thanks for tuning in and listening. And uh, if you have something out there that you agree with and you, and you want to share it with us, if you disagree with something that we said and you want to let us know, or if you have something you want us to, uh, to cover, uh, we uh, encourage you to uh, to get that to us and we'll be happy to cover it. But most of all, we are appreciative and thank you for being out there and giving us a reason to get on the interwebs and put the stuff out there. Uh, we love you guys. We appreciate you listening in and we will talk to you again next week. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>